Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. If you'd like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. All right. It's a joke from yesterday's seminar. Okay. <laughs> well, man, it's good to be here, good to be among friends, and good to be a place that's hungry for Jesus. My goodness gracious. Thanks for taking your time in worship and not just checking a box. And it's good to be part of, a, a, you know, here with a team that talks about their people behind their back in a way that they love them. Uh, your, your, your staff loves you, and uh, you guys have got great leadership, and uh, the team feels super healthy. And uh, let's just say when you go to a place, that's nice and refreshing. So you guys got it good here. I, uh, I'm going to text my wife and I say, you know what? I'm going to tell her, you know, if we lived here, I'd actually go to this church. This is a great place. So uh, sometimes you don't know how good you have it until uh, someone else comes in and tells you. I'm telling you, you guys got, a, you got some great things going on here. It's a vision beyond just having church. It's about influencing a region and transforming people. So it's uh, so good to be here. Well, I hope you brought your shouting shoes. I've got OMG level good news for you today. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here to release massive hope, and I've got some uh, good news for you. Hope is, the, is not just like, oh, it's a wishing well, and I you know, can just kind of hope something good happens. Hope is the confident expectation of good based on the character of God and the nature of his promises. I don't know if you know this. There's no hopeless situations. God's not hopeless about your situation. He's not up there uh, calling an emergency meeting of the Trinity. He's not up there biting his, no, no, we didn't, we didn't see this, oh, who's, we didn't see COVID coming, North Korea, oh my goodness, gas price, oh, we didn't see this coming. Like, heaven's not up there hopeless. There's no hopeless situations, only hopeless people. And when people uh, begin to have hope, their situation changes. A stronghold is not some demon wrapped around your mind. It's anything that's normal for you that's not normal in the kingdom. Heaven's not hopeless. Hopelessness is not normal in the kingdom. So I want to release some massive hopes. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull some weeds, and then we're going to plant some good seeds. If you don't like the harvest you're getting, plant some different seeds. So we're going to pull out some of these weeds of bad thinking about, uh, about kingdom and finances and prosperity. Listen, I know there's been bad teaching in the church historically on finances. There's been bad teaching on heaven, and I still plan on going there. So don't let error keep you from the truth. If you're being kept from the truth, that's called error. How are we doing? So what I want to do today, I want to plant, uh, pull some weeds, plant some good seeds, and I want, to, uh, I want to break off the number one reason I believe that Christians aren't prospering. And now here's the thing, there is no such thing as the prosperity gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom includes prosperity. Prosperity is not the whole gospel, but the gospel isn't whole without prosperity. So before you uh, start throwing stones at someone named Jim Baker teaching on finances, like I, like I know, I know I've got a famous name, I say it's 1K and no Tammy Faye, so we'll... Uh, Let me give you my definition of prosperity. Ready for this? That you have more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Let me say it over here just in case you thought I was kidding. You have more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Notice, hey, I got the shouting crew over here. This is good. Um, Prosperity doesn't mean every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. We're talking about having the provision for your vision. We're talking about funding your life mission and making your greatest impact. It means that we're going to have finances in proportion to our assignments. So the farmer in Uganda who's called to do that, their finances are going to look different than the person who's called to reach the Hollywood elite. Which one's better? Neither one's better. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be rewarded according to your assignment. Abundance, if you're Joseph in prison, isn't a palace on the hill somewhere in the finest chariot. It's the favor it's the emotional health and well-being that got him appointed to be the head of the prisoners. Here's the idea, guys. We stay in our lane, and, here, and think of yourself as a hose. If God can get money through you, he'll get money to you, only be plenty left over for you. And the inside of a hose gets wet. How we doing? I got some good news for you, guys. His name's El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. God doesn't mind meeting your needs in style. He just doesn't want you giving your heart over to pursuing style. So I grew up in a denomination, I grew up in the Sons of God denomination, one of the greatest missionary organizations uh, in history. <clears throat> we would often hear stories that went like this. 
there's a missionary family. They're out in the, on, out in the field. They're broke. They've got no money. They've got no food. And uh, knowing that they had no food, they would set the table by faith. So they got the plates, the forks, the knives. They would hold hands and pray, believing God for provision. All of a sudden, there'd be a knock at the door. They go and answer the door. So it'd be a family standing there with groceries. Their needs had been provided. Yay, God, right? How many of you guys have heard a story like that? Listen, we need to hear stories like that. But you know what we need? Even more than that, we need a group of people like you who not only have the resources, but have the ability to to hear God for where to direct those resources. That's what God wants to raise up here. There's two errors that have really happened in the body of Christ. It's kind of perverted the teaching on finances. And so, um, listen, guys, you guys have heard the phrase, the health and wealth gospel. People can hardly say it without a snarl, without a disgusted look on their face. Listen, if the enemy can keep you sick and poor, he's going to severely limit your destiny. Why do you think he's fought about health and wealth? Listen, i got some good news for you. Jesus didn't die for the sickness and poverty gospel. When did he ever lay hands on someone? I'm just blessing you with this cancer. It's going to make you more like Jesus. Sickness doesn't make you more like Jesus. Jesus isn't sick. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make you more like Jesus. Still kill and destroy is someone else's job description. Let's not get it confused. How are we doing? So, yeah, healing and prosperity have been fought against a lot. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so let's look at the first error. The first error says, you know, it's good to be poor. You know, poverty is a spiritual value. It keeps you humble. It keeps you dependent on God. Poverty doesn't keep you dependent on God. Faith keeps you dependent on God. Okay, you can be broke and not dependent on God. You can be wealthy. Not, I mean, that has nothing to do with it. And so, um, listen, guys, if poverty is so spiritual, why does the Bible tell us to give to the poor? Wouldn't that just ruin their spirituality? I tell you, one of the poorest ways to help the poor is to be poor. Listen, nobody needs to feel bad about their current circumstances. We need to raise our eyes to the level... What did Jesus actually pay for? We're going to look at that here in a moment. Let me just ask you this. Has anyone in here besides me ever been broke? Well, here's what the King James says about it. It stinketh. (laughs) There's nowhere in the Bible where poverty is ever said to be a good thing or to be a blessing from the Lord. Okay? Let me just say this. You can be broke and not be poor. Broke is a temporary financial condition. Poverty is a lens that only sees meager possibilities. So I would say this, prosperity starts with who you have, not what you have. Okay, so God's called each one of us to be stewards. You know what that means? It means you have to have something to steward. There's this religious thing that says if you're really spiritual, you'll give everything away. A lot of people would rather give it away than learn how to steward it for increase. How we doing? <laughs> yeah, we're still in the intro here. This is going to, we're going to go. In the kingdom, everything that gets stewarded multiplies and increases. That's how you know you're stewarding. If poverty is from God, why does the Bible say this? That the Lord blessed Isaac so that he became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. That's Genesis 26, 12. Notice it wasn't the devil who did that. It was God who did that. If poverty is so spiritual, why are we told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Guys, there's no poverty up in heaven. There's no recessions. There's no 30,000-year mortgages on the mansions in heaven. God has abundance, the enemy has a budget. Dramatic pause. (laughs) If money's so bad for us, why doesn't Satan just pour it on Christians and watch them backslide into hell? If money's so bad, why did Satan take it away from Job? Why, at the end of the book of Job, did God reward Job with the double portion of everything he'd lost? Why is the good man the one who leaves an inheritance to his children's children? Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Every religious person on the planet loves the person who seeks first the kingdom of God. But when the second part of that verse comes true, and all these things will be added, I don't know about this, I'm getting kind of greedy, I'm getting worried. What do we got here? I just made a new friend there. Wow. Excuse me. You're not my wife. All right. The second error, so the first error, hey man, it's just happening up here, all right? You shouldn't have created such a free place, all right? It's your fault. It's not my fault. So the first error is saying that poverty is spiritual. You're more spiritual if you're poor. The second error is equally as perverted. It says your spirituality is measured by the size of your house or what kind of car you drive or what kind of watch you wear. Listen, guys, material possessions are not a sign of God's blessing unless they are. 
There's actually times in the Bible where, uh, where you know, the person's material blessing in their life is directly tied to their relationship with God. I'm not saying it's always this case. I'm just saying sometimes it is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Solomon, God was the direct cause of their blessing. Here's what this means. It means you don't get to judge somebody else's harvest when you don't know what kind of seed they planted. It's not your job to be the prosperity police determining who's driving too nice of a car. That's between them and God, not you. Here's a question. How, how much money is too much money? It's whatever amount replaces trust in God. Some people, they get 100 bucks in their pocket, they forget there's a God in heaven. Other people, 100 million doesn't even begin to move them because their heart's so anchored in the invisible realm. So loving God doesn't mean you have to be broke. And having money doesn't necessarily mean you're godly. Just ask the mafia. <clears throat> Here's the deal with money. <laughs> well, the mafia one really hit here. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, we break the spirit of mafia over this region? Yeah. All this. Uh, uh. Just think about, I mean, look at, uh, is the name of this church Providence? I mean, you got the word provide right in your name. My goodness gracious. Wow. Here's the deal with money. A lot of people don't like this, but this is the truth. Money is to the natural realm what the anointing is to the supernatural realm. It's just a way to get things done. So you guys, we got to get this kingdom view of money. We don't get our self-worth from our net worth. We don't feel better about ourselves when we've got more money. We feel better about ourselves because of who's, who our dad is, who we have access to, who lives inside of us, who's changed our name to now have a family name according to Ephesians. And so money's to the natural. Money's a tool. Money's just a tool. We turn those dollars into soldiers to accomplish kingdom purposes. Okay? So I, I, I used this illustration yesterday. If I went over to Pastor Nathan's house, he wouldn't, he wouldn't take me into his garage and begin to show me a shovel collection. Hey, Jim, how would you look at this shovel collection? <laughs> the Lord's been so good to us. You know, we're, uh, we're doing pretty good with the Lord, you know. And so, uh, you know, the kids bedazzled the handle of this one. Anyone remember the bedazzler? All right, only the left side of the room remembers the bedazzler. All right. Yeah, all, all the 80s kids are over here. There we go. You know, you know we got the platinum handle. Shovel. Like, no one's bragging about their shovel collection because it's a tool to accomplish work. Guys, that's a kingdom view of money. It's just a tool. Now, part of that is to um, enjoy the goodness of God with God. It's okay to take care of your family. It's okay to go on vacation. Uh, one, there was three tithes in the Old Testament, and one of them was the festival tithe, but they went and partied on it. You're like, Jim, tell me more about the festival tithe. You should have gone yesterday is what... But part of it is to expand the kingdom and be a blessing to others. And so uh, when the prior of your finances is on God and other people, God will take better care of you on accident than you can take care of yourself on purpose. I'll, I'll just say this since I'm leaving on a plane in a couple hours. God will not bless lazy and he will not bless stingy. And so what happens in the church sometimes is there's this withholding spirit. They're so afraid that if they give that they're not going to have enough. And you're ensuring you're not going to have enough by having that withholding spirit because you're now in the human economy. God can't put his super on your natural when you're withholding in fear. It's like putting up an umbrella when he's trying to rain blessings on your life. Listen, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to, I'm trying to unveil to you reality. The one who sows generously will reap generously. It says the one who withholds will go into poverty is what Proverbs says. Why? Because you're left in your own circumstances. Listen, for the world, it's the law of the jungle. they got different rules out there. For the Christian, this is how it works. You give, and God puts it back in you. How does it work? I don't know. It's an invisible kingdom. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. I don't know. He just makes it happen. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Hope you got your shouting shoes on for this one. The context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is two whole chapters on finances and giving. You ready for this? And God is able to make a little bit of grace squirt out to you if you act, if you act good enough. No, that's not what it says here. And God is able to make all grace abound you. When he calls it a grace, it means he paid for it on the cross. Are you ready for this? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you would abound in every good work. Do you think the Holy Spirit was in a good mood when he wrote that verse, when he inspired that verse? <clears throat> Here's what that verse means. <clears throat> I want you to know this too. If this verse isn't true, John 3, 16 is not true. Here's what that verse means. God wants your finances to grow to the point that anytime there's a need that comes across your path and your heart is moved to meet that need, you have a stream of income to meet that need. So you're like, Jim, I don't believe I'll get there. Well, you need to overcome this unbelief before you're going to get very far. See, one of the biggest problems people have when it comes to teaching on prosperity is they think it's, problem, it's about being selfish. 
Listen, prosperity isn't selfish because it's not all about you. Prosperity is measured by how much we give away, not how much we keep for ourselves. Prosperity is about blessing, not possessing. Can we just flip this thing on its head? It's actually selfish for you to not desire prosperity. What if prosperity is an optional? What if being blessed is required? Listen to Psalm 67, 1 and 2, guys. Because if God only provides for your needs, the world will lack a revelation of an abundant father. Psalm 67, 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That sounds like revival to me, gang. People lack a knowledge of the goodness of God. So here's what this prayer is. It's a legal prayer. God, put your hand a blessing on me so people will see what you're like. I'm not talking about, oh, Christians should have five cars and we should all have the best of the best. I'm not talking about the world system of success. I'm talking about put your hand of blessing on me so people will know what you're like. Well, I don't know, Jim. This sounds like a bless me club. Well, Jesus didn't die for a curse me club. And what's the problem with a bless me club? Because Christians, when we get blessed, we become a bigger blessing. Oh, Jim, I just want enough to provide for me and my family. Oh, wow, you selfish pig. <laughs> Let me tell you what that is. That's the spirit of stupid. Getting married to the spirit of poverty and having a child together. It sounds so spiritual, but it's extremely selfish. Let me translate it for you. My needs are met. Who gives a rip about the rest of the world? Religion wants to shrink you down until just enough, and I don't want to make too much noise, and I don't want to stir, and just raise my hands at half mass. And, you know. Margaret Thatcher, former prime minister of England, I love this quote. She said, no one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. You cannot be a big giver if you don't have a big abundance. If your pitcher is empty, you can't fill up someone else's cup. Affluence is for influence. Income is for impact. Prosperity has a purpose. Well, Jim, money can't buy happiness. Well, neither can poverty. Poverty can't buy anything. People who say money can't buy happiness just simply have not given enough of it away. How much should buy happiness for people over and over again? I remember uh, one time I was working in my home office, and there was a knock at the door, and I go and answer it, and some young kid there selling cable TV, and I didn't really want to deal with it, and so I was getting ready to shut the door in the name of Jesus in his face. And you know those good salespeople, they're, like, they're trained with like those like overcomer like one-liner objections, and he gives me one of them. I was like, all right, that's actually pretty good. So I let him in. He gives me a spiel. So I'm going to buy cable from him. And uh, now I'm realizing, I'm like, oh, I got this kid in my house here. I'm like, he's, he's in my domain. He's going to hear about Jesus. And so I just started sharing some healing testimonies with him. He said, listen, I don't believe in God. I said, that's okay. God believes in you. I said, you got any pain in your body? And he's like, well, he's like, I was a Muay Thai kickboxer. My jaws come unhinged. And then I, uh, I got um, carpal tunnels. And so he had braces on his hand. I'm like, well, take off the braces and let's just pray. And so we pray. And uh, I don't remember him getting 100% healed, but enough happened that he's crying and he's, he's knowing that God's doing something in his wrist. And so then he just begins opening up his life to me. He's like, listen, he's like, I'm living with this girl. And her sister um, sold her body for heroin. She was a prostitute, sold her body for heroin. She overdosed and died. She's got two kids. She's like, we're going to inherit the two kids. And the funeral's this week, and we can't afford the funeral. I hear the Lord say, write the check. And so I said, how much do you need for the funeral? And so I went in the room, wrote the check. He said, now he's really crying. He's like, man, why are you doing this? I said, this is just God showing you how much he cares about you. So we exchanged text numbers. Yeah, yeah, God. And so I exchanged text, text numbers, and I told my wife, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to the funeral. So I'm like, hey, bro, um, I hope this doesn't sound weird. I just want to come support you at the funeral. He's like, no, it won't be weird. Go, go. And so um, I don't know if he outworks with pastors. We got one suit with two ties. We got the, we got the funeral tie, and we got the wedding tie, you know. And so, and, and so I, I show up there. I'm the only one in the suit. You know, I got my, uh, my funeral tie on. And it's kind of a pretty intimidating environment. I, I don't like to stereotype, but it looked like, like rival gangs, in there and like the former baby mamas and now with the new baby daddies and they're they're yelling back and forth and it looks like there's about to be a fist fight so of course I'm thinking where can I hide right I mean so like my greatest thing when a fight is probably like headbutts to the fist I'll just wear down their knuckles with my face you know so so I'm, so I'm kind of slumped down in the back like trying trying not to get noticed you know and this big dude comes up to me he's like hey are you that guy that gave money towards the funeral I was like Lord receive my spirit like this is it and so I, I squeak out a 
yes, sir. And uh, his eyes moistened with tears. He's like, wow, I've, I've never heard anything like that before. I was like, oh, God, I thought I was going to die. Like, uh, like, all right, this is good, you know. And so the two kids who have never met me, the guy stands up and he says, hey, everybody, that's my pastor. I'm like, your pastor, you didn't believe in God two days ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> the two kids come running and jump in my lap and call me Uncle Jim. What had happened there? Proverbs 25 in the Passion Translation says, your generosity awakens the conscience of unbelievers. You guys see, it's not just money. That's the whole parable of the unjust steward. It says that we can, t- we can make friends with money. You can awaken the conscience of unbelievers. I tell you what, guys, I've watched it by happiness over and over again. I never served in the military, and I'm very thankful for our, our men and women who have. So I just have a thing. When we go to a restaurant, uh, we, we just anonymously buy uh, you know, buy the meals for whoever, you know, you, you can tell when they're like in uniform, you just buy it for them. I remember I went to this convention and it was filled with military. I was like, oh God, <laughs> like, like how much did that commitment, you know? And so I was like, all right, we'll take out a second mortgage. And so, uh, but so I, I, I paid for this one guy anonymously and I paid for like the table or whatever. And um, somehow we figured out who did it. And he's like, hey man, did you uh, did you pay for the, the meal? I'm like, yeah, I did. And I said, we're so thankful for you guys. We pray for you. We, we just honor you. And he rips the patch off of, his, um, off of his sleeve, and he gives it to me. He says, hey, man, nobody honors us like that. Thank you. What happens? Generosity awakens the conscience of unbelievers. I've got story after story, guys. Don't underestimate. It doesn't have to be a big gesture. But just uh, we're turn- what are we doing? We're turning our dollars into soldiers. And when you attach your faith to it, God, uh, God, you- God paints a target on their, uh, on their life, and now he begins to invade. Yeah. Guys, it should be obvious that you cannot go into all the world to disciple nations if you can't afford to go to the store. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm trying to break off this stupid religious thing that says it's good to be poor. If I didn't know you were with me, that would have almost sounded like the sarcastic clap. It was like just like one person, you know. But I know you guys are with me, but I'm like, all right, I know better, all right. I'm not that insecure. All right. Well, Jim, that's great. But Jesus was poor, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. Have you guys heard this one? Let's just look at this. Was Jesus poor? Well, the Magi brought expensive gifts to Jesus. Who were the Magi? They were the kingmakers of the day who were trained in the courts of Persia by the prophet Daniel. And they're trained to look for a sign in the heaven that would point to a greater king. The Magi were known as the kingmakers of the day. They were the ones who would recognize royalty and and announce it. And so they saw the star in the heavens. They traveled 1,500 miles. And uh, it's, it's interesting what happened. The, the reaction of Herod the king, Matthew 2, 3, when Herod the king heard that the Magi from the east had come to Jerusalem, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because the kingmakers had come. Now, religion would try to have you picture like these three guys, and they're emaciated. They got these giant paper hats on. And they got these bathrobes with like a, a mustard-stained Beavis and Butthead t-shirt on underneath it. And then the first one gets to him and he says, Jesus, here's a little gold nugget wrapped in tinfoil. And he gives it to him. And the other ones nervously search their pockets. And the other one says, you know, here's, here's an economy-sized spritzer from Walmart. You sparingly, master. That's not what it says. Here's what it says in Matthew 2.11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Why? Because they'd found a greater king. Then they opened their treasure chests, plural. Treasure chests, Plural, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Joseph and Mary received so much money, they were able to flee to Egypt. Uh, remember, they were fleeing, fleeing from Herod. He was going to kill all the, all the two-year-olds and under. Uh, so much money, they could flee to Egypt and not have to work for three years. Jesus became such a successful businessman, he became known as the carpenter of Nazareth. A lot of people are like, Jesus was homeless. I'm like, really? The number one carpenter of Nazareth was like sleeping on the street with his tools? That's what we're supposed to picture him. Jesus had so much money that he had a treasure. Are you guys ready for this revelation? If you have a treasure, you have treasures. <clears throat> Hashtag duh. He had so much money in the treasury that Judas was stealing from it, and nobody knew except Jesus, and that was through a supernatural word of knowledge. Jesus was such a promiscuous and outrageous giver by lifestyle. If you remember, he goes up and whispers something in Judas's ear in the Last Supper, and Judas gets up and leaves, and the disciple goes, oh, there goes Judas to give away more money to the poor in the middle of the night. Such a common occurrence. Jesus had so much money, he was able to feed 12 teenage boys for three years of ministry. Do you know how much they eat? I think this might be the greatest financial miracle in the entire scriptures. At the end of Jesus' life, soldiers actually gambled over who got his clothes. Why? Probably because they were nice. I'm not saying he was walking around as some hotshot evangelist with a bunch of blame. 
What I'm saying is he had more than enough finances to fulfill every divine assignment God had for him and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Jesus was prosperous. How are we doing? So here's the key to the whole thing. Um, well, let me, here's just a quick thought. Um, the, the curse, uh, when Adam and Eve fell in, into sin, the curse came with the sweat of their brow and thorns and thistles. You guys remember this? Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He took thorns and thistles and shed blood over the curse of poverty. Um, uh, one of your pastors read it uh, here this morning. The spirit of the Lord is in, upon me and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You ain't got to be poor anymore. Recovery of sight to the blind. The gospel gives recovery of sight to the blind. Sets the captives free. That's the next parts of the verse. But the first part was good news to the poor. You don't have to be poor anymore. Somehow in the gospel, there's this seeds to pull you out of poverty. When you partner with God, you begin to prosper on the inside. You can't help but prosper on the outside. It's how it works in the kingdom. Prosper as your soul prospers. How much do you think he wants your soul to prosper? Just a little bit? A little bit of joy? A little bit of peace? A little bit of kindness? He's like joy unspeakable, peace that passes understanding, love, the height, the depth, the width, the, you can't even, the measureless love of God. 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Remember, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Two, are, we, are we okay here? Yeah. All right, just make sure. Uh, two whole chapters on giving. So here, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, Jim, that's talking about spiritual riches. Well, the context is money. The word rich there is used of finances in every single case in Paul's letters. In just a few verses later, he uses it, and it's clearly talking about money. So what does it mean? Jesus, uh, he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. I believe he became poor six hours on the cross. We already saw that he was not poor on earth. He, uh, and, uh, so I don't know if he's talking about uh, compared to heaven or just compared to his earthly thing, but six hours on the cross. It's the same time when he who knew no sin became sin. When did Jesus become sin? Six hours on the cross. He bore your sickness and carried your pain. When did he do that? Six hours on the cross, starting with the stripes on his back. Um, you know, he became cursed so you could become the righteousness of God. When was he cursed? Six hours on the cross. When was he poor? So here, here's the thing. Jesus paid for your poverty in the same way he paid for you to come out of sin and sickness. It was all part of the atonement on the cross. God would no more rather have you in poverty than he would have you in adultery. He paid for you to come out of both. Because someone let this get deep in your heart and say, you know what? I can fight this thing. I don't have to accept these current circumstances. I don't, you're not too old. You're not too young. Those are hope, that's a hopeless mentality, and heaven's not hopeless about your circumstances. Yes. Any area of your life where you don't have a confident expectation of good and glistening hope, you're believing a lie, and it can become a stronghold of the devil. Like, Jim, thank you for telling me that I could potentially have strongholds of the devil this morning. That just really blesses me. If you're hopeless about America, you're believing a lie, and it can become a stronghold of the devil. If you're believing a hopelessness about your children, you're believing a lie. And it can become a stronghold of the devil. Man, we, man God, God is awesome. One second in the presence of God can then do more than 50 years of counseling. All right, so let's look at the key to the whole thing here. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking to disciples right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I believe is the number one reason why Christians aren't prospering. It's the spirit of mammon. We're going to break it off you before we leave today. How's that sound? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some of your Bible translations say God and money, but you have a little asterisk there. Look in your margin. It'll say it's the Aramaic word money, um, mammon. So what is mammon? Mammon was the demon god of Syria whose name meant the power of riches. Okay? So Jesus is the master teacher, and so he's, he's kind of showing these two opposing, opposing forces. You can either put your trust in the one true God, or you can put your trust in this, in this spiritual influence that tries to get you to look to money the way you're supposed to look to God. Let me use this example. If when you begin feeling uh, extra confident and extra secure when your checking account's more full, that's the spirit of mammon because your security and your confidence is supposed to come from God, not money. Mammon tries to get you to look to money the way you're supposed to look to the one true God. You're putting your confidence in what you have. We getting that? So um, here's what I want to do. I want to read a couple of popular Bible verses, but I want to read what happens when the spirit of mammon gets hold of them. You guys ready for this? Where does my help come from? My help comes from money. Money is my shepherd. I shall not be in want when I've got enough of it. Even though walk, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I have money, it comforts me. Money is an ever-present help in time of need. Money gives me the peace that passes understanding. 
My money shall supply all my needs. People perish for a lack of money. A day in the mall is better than thousands elsewhere. And so behind mammon is this lie. It says, yeah, God takes care of those super saints and all those all-star Christians, but you're not one of those all-star Christians. So you need to spend a lot of time worrying about money and dreaming and scheming about how you're going to get more money. That's the lie that mammon tries to get you to partner with. Truth is, you don't need more money. You need to understand God and his kingdom better. Have you heard the news? You've entered into a kingdom that's governed by a father who is relentlessly kind and loves you beyond anything imaginable. And you are no longer in charge of taking care of yourself. You have a father who says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store in barns. How do most people try to uh, get their needs met? Sowing and reaping. They're going to manipulate God in offerings. God doesn't meet your needs because you gave in the offering. He meets your needs because he loves you more than birds. You've entered into a realm. Listen, guys, God's not trying to get you. He's not trying to get you into heaven when you die. He's trying to get you into heaven before you die. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. You can step into a realm where you can live in a holy power that's not your own. You can step into a realm that's governed by a father where you are no longer primarily. It's not all up to you. You can rest in that. So what's it look like to serve or worship mammon? Uh, the next verse, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will put on, what you will drink. Uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You guys ready for this? Anxiety and worry are to the spirit of mammon what praise and worship are to the one true God. The way that you worship mammon is by being anxious and fearful about finances. Fear is faith in the devil. Worry is a form of atheism because you're imagining your future without God. Fear is imagining your future, faith is imagining your future with God. So I got some good news for you. God's already in your future. He's going to be there when you get there, so you don't need to worry. Imagine your future with God. That's called faith. Listen, guys, God's supernatural can't flow into fear and worry. Okay, you don't need more money. You need a greater relationship with the source. How many of you guys remember uh, Elijah, the Old Testament prophet? <laughs> I tell you what, those Old Testament prophets had it rough. You know, um, Isaiah had to walk around naked for three years. I'm like, I don't even take my shirt off at the pool anymore. Last time I did, there were some threats of some lawsuits from some retinal damage from the glare spots. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Hosea had to marry a prostitute named Gomer. I'm like, dude, her name was Gomer. Like, you should have known things were about to go horribly wrong. <laughs> Ezekiel, uh, God told him to cook his food over his own dung. Like, I mean, that's hilarious when you're in junior high, but, like, as an adult, that's just disgusting. Let's just be honest. And so... Um, uh, so Elijah, God's like, Elijah, I want you to prophesy a famine. He's like, I'm an Old Testament prophet. I love prophesying famines in the land that you're living in. He's like, man, can we do the Amorites, the termites, the cellulites, the parasites? He's like, no, in the land that you're living. He's like, don't worry, Elijah, I got this sweet deal. Uh, the Amazon now ravens are going to bring you food every day. We've got the brook Cherith. Everything's going good until the brook dries up. What do most Christians do when the brook dries up? They start freaking out. This tithing isn't working. God's forgotten about me. And Every time the resource of provision changed in Elijah's life, here's the very next verse. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Listen, guys, the source never changes, but the resource will change many times in your life. Never confuse the source with the resource. Never confuse the source with the resource. So listen, if your channel of provision has changed, if your brook has dried up, what do you need? You need to get the word of the Lord. And so here's what God said. He wants you to go to the city of Zarephath, and I want you to find a widow. I'm sure uh, Elijah was like, Lord, did you say uh, window? Is that like some like window of blessing? No, Elijah, she's a widow. Is widow like the last name of like a Boaz type person? No, Elijah, she's a widow. Here's what you need to understand. There wasn't like a lot of uh, female entrepreneurs on Shark Tank in the ancient Near East, okay? Like their resource of provision was their husband. And so he goes there, and it says he sees a woman forging through the rubble, trying to find enough sticks to start a fire. Uh, that ain't a good sign in your new resource of provision. So he says to the lady, he says, hey, um, uh, he said, you know, hey, can you get me something to eat? And she's like, hey, it's kind of a bad time right now. Uh, my son and I are trying to start a fire. We got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. We're going to make one last cake that we might eat of it, and then we might die. Not the mighty faith declaration you're looking for out of your new resource of provision. So uh, I'm expecting Elijah to take up an offering at this point for this poor widow, like find some people of means in the city. And Elijah does take up an uh, offering for himself. 
You guys remember this? He says, bake me a cake as fast as you can, is what he tells this lady. I mean, can you just see, like, can you just see the newspaper headlines, like, prophet of God takes last meal from widow? Like, like, those Old Testament prophets had it rough, okay? Why does Elijah say this? What was the widow trusting in? She was trusting in a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And Elijah knew if he could get her eyes off of the resource onto the source, supernatural provision could flow into her life. Guys, um, Mammon is trying to sell you your life. Mammon is trying to tell you this lie that your life is dependent on what you have in your hand, your resources, your bank account, your job, your 401k, Social Security, whatever it's telling you. And, uh, and what God is inviting you today is, listen, I want, I want you can become financially free the moment you turn your finances over to God. You don't have to wait till a certain number of bank, a certain number of zeros. A lot of people have made him Lord and Savior. There's a lot fewer who have made him provider. God, you are the source of my provision. Get this phrase in your heart. Nobody can take better care of me than dad. Just say that with me. Nobody can take better care of me than dad. God and Elijah was not after her flour and oil. He was after her heart. So Mammon puts this deep fear that God is not going to take care of you, so you need to spend a lot of time worrying about money. Spirit of Mammon even attaches itself to Bible teaching. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you biblical truths that you've probably heard before, but the spirit of Mammon perverts it. Okay? So uh, here's, here's a little three-point sermon. Who in here needs more finances? Yeah, we need more finances. And uh, begin to teach that poverty and lack are not God's will. Absolutely true. That uh, uh, if you sow generously, you reap generously. Absolutely true. The context is finances. You can get a 30, 60, yeah, even a 100-fold return. How many of you guys have heard these things, right? They're biblical. But... Um, Here's the problem is what happens is many Christians, when they hear this kind of teaching, they begin to think, how can I get God to get me more money? And it reverses the relationship with God where now I'm the master and he's my errand boy. And so they're putting this money in this offering to manipulate God, rub the genie bottle, grant me three wishes. Jesus actually teaches against sowing and reaping to get your needs met. Look at the bird, very next verse. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I already told you this. Provision comes because God, God loves you more than birds. Have you ever seen a bird having an anxiety attack? No. Only Christians. Next time you're in fear, open the door. And if you see the birds are still alive, you know that God provides for you. Look at the birds of the air. Just use it as a cue. When you're, walking down, when you're walking down the road, driving down the road, and you see birds, just use it as a cue. Lord, I just thank you that you take care of, you take care of these little birds. You're going to take care of me. When you understand this, you can literally walk into work tomorrow, have your boss hand you a pink slip, and your blood pressure doesn't go up because you have this revelation, nobody can take better care of me than dad. I'm telling you guys, this is the foundation for supernatural finances, is, uh, is, is this, this settled knowing that God is, God's taking care of me. You know, if um, my kids were little, let's say they went to school and they came home and they said, Dad, I gave away 10% of my sandwich at lunch. Can I have dinner? I'd be a horrible father if, people, if my kids thought that they had to perform in order for me to provide for them. And yet so many people think if they don't tie that God's going to send the devourer to come break their kneecaps and eat their crops. As if giving is some kind of hush money to the mafia so that he doesn't come and do something bad to you. I like to say this. He's God the Father, not the Godfather. I'm circling for a landing. I'm almost done here. Uh, we, our, our church goes after a lot of healing. And a lot of times we'll have a you know, service or sometimes they'll speak somewhere else and we'll have a service. And they don't have like any ministry team. So picture like people lined all the way across the front. And sometimes it's like just two people praying. It's like, all right, this is going to be a long day. I've never had this thought though. I've never thought, you know, when I pray, I wonder if I'm going to run out of healing anointing. I've never had that thought because I'm super aware that I'm not the source of healing anointing. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes I have this fear, like if I give this big of a check, am I going to run out, even though it's prompted by the Holy Spirit? What's that? That's the spirit of man. I'm still learning how to overcome. So uh, I used to make my living off of real estate, and we, we still have a rental property in North Carolina. And the, uh, the tenant called me, and he said, Jim, the foundation of the house is crumbling. I thought, boy, there's nothing in that sentence that I liked. You know, I'm not a structural engineer, but it doesn't sound good. And so... Um, so here's the thing. We had already given our finances and everything we owned over to God. God's the owner. I'm just his money manager. The pressure was literally off. And so he said that. And so I was actually doing a series on finances in our church. And uh, I'd only planned on doing six weeks. It turned into an 18-week series. 
Anyway, I'm, I'm not sure how that happened. But, but as a result of it, 25% of the people got out of debt, most of them including their house within 12 months, just taking care of, just, just taking care of the hard issues without all the fancy pants stuff we learned yesterday, just the hard issues. And so, the, um, and so I told him, I said, man, it was 50 grand to repair. And I, at the time, I didn't have it. And I, so I said, Mary, God's the sneaky, Mary's my wife. I said, Mary, God's the sneakiest person in the universe. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. It wasn't just some trite phrase. I'm like, I got no solution. I already gave this house to him. I'm stewarding this thing. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. So that happened week three of this series. You know, I thought it was going to be a six-week series. So you can listen to it. It's on a recording. I said, hey, guys, I just got this news. And I said, I don't have a solution for it. And by the end of this series, we're going to have a solution because God's the sneakiest person in the universe. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. I had three more weeks to see what's going to happen. I wasn't even worrying about it. And so I was driving down the road, and I just kind of had this thought. You know, it wasn't like an audible voice or anything. It's just a thought. Did you know that God's voice sounds a lot like your voice in your head because your spirit and his spirit have become one spirit? So if you're waiting for God to speak to you like, oh, I am your father, like some kind of James Earl Jones voice, you're going to be waiting a long time. And so a lot of people, they're waiting for it to be more mystical than it actually is. And so I say this a little bit lightly, but if you want to hear from God, have some thoughts. I mean, you, your heart's open. I'm not saying every thought that comes. I mean, test those things. But, I, I, you know, he said his sheep hear his voice. It doesn't say they always recognize it. I think the number one trap for believers is, oh, that was just me. Well, look, look at who just you is. Just you has been united to Christ, and you have the mind of Christ. So I'm driving down the road, and I get this thought. Call Micah. And so, my, so I, you know, I live in Ohio, and so the house is in North Carolina. And I call your buddy Micah. So I'll go, Micah, I'm like, I got no solution for this. I don't have 50 grand. Can you just go over there and just see if the Lord gives you a creative solution? He's like, all right. He goes over there, comes up with a solution that was a $500 fix. It was a permanent fix, and I got the tenant to pay for it. Thank you, Jesus. And so a little bit of Jewish, Jewishness in me there, all right? What was, what, what was that? It, that? That had nothing to do with my amazingness. I just stayed in a place of peace, and I let the one who actually is amazing just prompt and just acted on those things. Some of you are facing di- uh, difficult situations. I'd encourage you to, uh, we're going to break the spirit of mammon off of you, but I encourage you to just make that kind of your mantra is nobody can take better care of me than dad. God's the sneakiest person in the universe. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. There's a freedom in turning your finances over to God. That's what we're going to do here in just a second. Hebrews 13.5. If you guys could just close your eyes for a moment and take out your wallets. I'm just kidding. We're not going to take out your wallets. If you could just close your eyes for one moment. Just let this wash over you. This is Hebrews 13.5 from the Amplified. Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money. Like, how on earth could you do this? You ready for this? For God himself has said, I will not in any way way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. The Greek has it three times. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Here's what we're going to do is um, uh, the spirit of mammon tries to get you to worry about things you're not supposed to worry about. And so here's what I want to do is I want you to just do a quick exercise with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what am I worried about that I don't need to be worried about? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's a kid, but I'm just going to give you 30 seconds and he's going to give you a thought or a picture and we're just going to go with that. So just pray the Holy Spirit, what am I worried about that you don't want me worried about? So 30 seconds. Let's look up for a second. Can you guys just stand for a second? I want to do an exercise. It might feel a little bit different, but we're all going to have our eyes closed, so no one will uh, think you look weird, except for me. I'm going to be looking at every one of you. And so, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. Here's what we're going to do. I want to do this act where we're, I'm going to, we're going to pray. We're going to break the spirit of mammon off. You're going to be done with it. But we're going to take those worries, and we're going to pretend like we've got them in a little ball. It's not a big ball. It's just a little ball. And we're going to cast our cares on Jesus. We're going to count to three. So we're going to pray, but then we're going to count to three. And I want you to cast your cares on him, and don't pick it back up. Okay, listen, guys, your body, your soul is not meant to carry the stress of these things. You, you, you can't do it. So we're going to leave the outcomes up to God. The pressure is off of you. You can't make it happen. 
I'm not talking about being lazy. God said he blessed the work of your hands, not your butt on the couch. I'm not talking about doing nothing. Okay, but I'm talking about the pressure is off of you to make things happen. You do your part and you trust God. You're the one who opens doors, closes doors, comes up with solutions. And so let's just, uh, just in your hearts, you don't have to repeat this prayer after me, but just in your heart, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then you just kind of make it your own. God, I'm done with the spirit of mammon. I renounce my agreement with mammon. I'm not looking to money to be my source. You are my source. Forgive me for walking in fear around finances. I give these worries over to you. You're my savior. Now I'm making you my provider. Nobody can take better care of me than dad. All right, Lord, I just thank you that we have broken that spirit of agree- that agreement with the spirit of mammon. God, we are done looking to mammon as our source. We're done being fearful over finances, God. We're resting in how good you are. And so guys, I just, just get that thing in a little ball. Get your eyes closed. And God, and uh, we are done. We are casting these cares on you, God. There's these weight, these problems. We're done worrying about them, God. We're giving them to you. In the name of Jesus. Are you guys ready? One, got it in the ball there. Two, three. Be free. Now declare this with me. Declarations are simply a way of attaching your faith to words. Ready? Um, I renounce my agreement with the lies of poverty. And I now expect prosperity. All right, the secret to these things, guys, is to, is, is to mean them here. So let's, let's put a little oomph in them, all right? Like, like, all right? So I expect opportunities in favor. In every area of my life, I live in abundance. I am blessed, and I am a blessing. Blessings come upon me and overtake me. Look at me for one second. I mean, these are all phrases right from Scripture. This is from Deuteronomy 20. I'm not sure if you've ever been uh, driving in your little car and a big truck passes you by and it kind of gives you like that momentum push. That's that picture of being overtaken. All right? So let's say it again. Blessings come upon me and overtake me. I'm a magnet for blessings. All my debt is paid in full in Jesus' name. Nobody can take better care of me than dad. Isn't that good? Hey, before we close, I just want to see if there's anybody in here and maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you uh, used to walk with the Lord, but you're not currently walking with the Lord. Maybe you've never trusted him. And here's the gospel in two words. Trust Jesus. It's not about believing facts about him dying for your sins. And even the demons believe that. It's about putting your confidence in him. It's trusting him. God, I'm relying upon you. He's inviting you to step into a new reality called the kingdom of heaven. You're like, God, here's what repentance is. God, I've been doing this on my own strength. I've been trying it on my own. I'm leaving that and I'm putting all my hope and trust in following you. I'm gonna learn from you how to be like you. You're recognizing Jesus, you're the master of life. I wanna learn how to do my life. I want as much of you in my life as possible, in my finances, in my marriage, with my kids, in my future, in my career. God, I want you to be Lord of every single part. We're not using him. We're uh, being joined to him. We'll become part of a family. So repentance means I'm turning from doing it on my own strength. And now I'm turning. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live on a holy power that's not my own. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm pushing my chips to the center of the table and betting it all on God. So I got some good news for you. God's not angry. He's not even in a bad mood. And so all the obstacles between, I'm not sure if you heard the news. News means it's something that's already happened. It's not what you now have to do. And the good news is, is Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. He's already cleared the way so, so that you can have full access to the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Him. That's the good news. And you don't have to do anything except believe and receive. So you're saying, God, I trust you. I see what Jesus has done, and I want as much of you in every area of my life as possible. You may not fully understand it now, but you're taking that step, and you've got a family around here that'll help you grow in that. So is there anybody here, you're like, Jim, that's me. I, I need to trust Jesus today, and I want um, every head up, every eye open, and everyone looking around. Not to embarrass anybody, but uh, Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so, um, so you with the palpitating heart and the sweaty palms. Listen, uh, this is a chance for you to step in uh, and and start something beautiful with Jesus. Is there anybody in here? Like, I I need that. I need to trust Jesus today. I've been away or just whatever that might look like. Is there anybody here? You should just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here? Yeah, thank you. 
Anybody else? Yeah, Yegar. Anybody else? All right, I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna do one more call here. And so, uh, listen, it's, it's, listen, you can come down to the prayer team afterwards if, if you didn't raise your hand, but there's something special about just saying, you know what, I'm in. Listen, there, uh, every person, and there's a picture in Luke 15 that says when um, one, lost, one lost person comes home, and I love it when Jesus calls them lost because it means you're, you can only lose something that's valuable. You're so valuable, and it says that uh, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a party thrown in heaven with your name on the banner. Every person in here who's come to the family of God, there was, a, there was rejoicing in heaven when you said, yeah, I'm in for that. And it says all the angels threw a party. And so uh, is, there, is there anyone else in here? You're, uh, you're like, I, I'm going to trust Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm done doing this on my own strength. I just want to just take a moment for this. Is there anybody else? You're like, yeah, Jim, I want that. I want you to pray with me. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else? I'm not going to have anybody come down. We'll, we'll just, uh, just, if you can just get, gather around here, guys. Just, um, so the Bible has, uh, the laying out of hands, sometimes spiritual power is conveyed with that, but it's just a, a sign of just blessing. And so I think there was another one over there. And so uh, uh, so just just pray along with me. You, uh, I'll, like, I'll say a phrase and you just make it your own. Jesus, I love you. I give you my life. Forgive me for doing things in my own way. I want to learn the Jesus way. I want to live in your strength. Thank you for accepting me. <laughs> Thank you that you'll never stop loving me regardless of how many times I fail. So Lord, for these precious people in here, I bless them in the name of Jesus. They are now sons and daughters with full access to everything in the kingdom. And uh, Lord, let them uh, encounter you in a special way. Lord, I thank you that you're filling them with your Holy Spirit and making them new. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 